you don't know me, I'm the executive pastor here at Reliance Church. I've been serving here since the church started about seven years ago. Uh, started serving as a deacon and then uh, became an elder. And well, I've been on the board as a treasurer for the last several years. And um, it's a great honor to serve with, um, on our board. And, um, and that was all before I was ever a pastor. And so um, it's, you know, I get to serve with some of the, people, the greatest people that I love. Um, and the, the, our board is uh, made up of um, other churches, other pastors, um, leaders in their own right, and large, some of them large churches that are able to pour into us. And um, just to have that blessing of bringing across what we, we are doing here and to be able to boast about the work being done and to have that godly counsel has been, um, it's been eye-opening for me and just a great learning experience. And so uh, for me, I'm just thankful um, for this church and for the way um, God has brought Autumn and I here and for all the growth and the challenges. And this morning we have, uh, we'll be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you'll turn there. And this morning we do have a challenge, because this is a challenging passage for a lot of us, uh, given the subject at hand. And uh, we're going to be talking about what it's like to be a cheerful giver. And it's, um, so anytime you're talking about giving, you're talking about finances, and you're talking about money, and, and that's when everyone gets scared, and people have, you know, they draw definitive lines in the sand, and um, we, we take on, the, it's easy for us to take on a liberal mentality of, you know, don't ask, don't tell. You know, I don't, you know, hey, let's just make a deal. We don't talk about those kind of things. And um, here in this church, um, if you've been coming here for any length of time, you know that that's pretty much the case here. We don't, we don't talk about money. We don't talk about giving um, unless it comes up in the text. And I think the last time we talked about it was probably when Ted taught through Malachi. And so, um, you know, but today I just felt led we're going to, this is the text we're going to be in. And so I apologize if you're new here. Hang on. It's, uh, it won't be like this every week. And uh, Ted will be back next week and we will cover some other topics, but we'll be back in Samuel. So. Um, so we are going to ask, we are going to tell, we're gonna, but we're going to ask what the Lord wants. We're, so we're going to go through the scriptures together, and so we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be talking a little more than just money. We're going to be talking about giving, you know, and what it's like to be a cheerful giver, and, the, and the, what motivates that. And for us as Christians, the greatest motivation for that is our love, and the love for one another, and the love of Christ, and his redemption for us, and what he did for us on the cross, that he would sacrifice everything for us, that we may, we may experience his love and that we might be able to give back as a portion of that to him. We do that in our service. We do that in our finances. We do it in our worship. Um, giving to him in so many ways is worship. And so um, let, let's start in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9. Let's pick up the first five verses. Now concerning the, the ministering of the saint, it is super, superfluous of, for me to write to you for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to Macedonians. And the Anakai was ready a year ago, and your zeal was stirred. Stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought... It necessary to exalt the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. You know, that last part of that verse 5, you know, not a grudging obligation, but out of a matter of our generosity. You know, that's why this morning I can even talk about this subject because it really has nothing to do about me. This isn't a guilt trip and, and when we talk about giving. 
Um, it has so much to do with the way we view God and what all he's given us and the love that he has for us. And so um, I got stuck in this passage. I, I assure you I tried to avoid it like, like the measles and going to Costco on the weekend, you know. <laughs> Honestly, you can ask my wife. I deleted the notes three times, literally off my computer, and started from scratch. Um, but the Lord just kept bringing me back. And I got into this passage, God, just through my devotional time. I've been going through Corinthians. And I honestly felt the Lord was just leading us there. As, as we as a church, we debate constantly the things that we're going to spend the money on and the ministries. And we're, we're called to be good stewards. And, you know, what, and for us as a church, we're at a spot where, you know, right now we're saving for a building. You know, we, we've... You know, we're, we're outgrowing things. Um, a lot of ministries are um, being basically held back because of just the size of things. Um, and so it's important for us, and we have to be good stewards going into that to know where we're going to spend those resources. And so you know, as much as I tried to escape the passage, I felt it was important for us and for us to go through. And this is exactly what Paul's doing in these first five verses. He's saying, I find it necessary, but then he says... He starts off with, I find it unnecessary to remind you, you know. I don't know if it's just sarcasm on Paul's part, but he, he felt the need to bring it up. And, you know, and he does it within such a boasting way that it's almost to say, hey, I've talked, I talked about you ahead of time, and now we have to live through. We've made these promises, and now we have to fulfill them. We've said we're behind this thing, now let's get behind it. And so um, the background of the, this section of Scripture, um, both... Both chapters 8 and 9, they really tie together. And we're going to focus this morning in on chapter 9, but we'll refer back to chapter 8. And um, it, it goes along with the whole rest of the book of the Corinthians in that it really expresses um, Paul's love for the churches and his ability. To, he wants to be an administrator. He's trying, he's trying to give back. And he's, he's looking at the, the, the church in Jerusalem, you know, which we could call the mother church, and, and say, look, you know, spiritually they helped feed these other churches. And now these smaller churches, these younger churches, it's time for you to step up. And right now the church in Jerusalem is hurting. We've got to give back. Financially they need some things for their ministries. There's, and you said you're behind it, now let's do it kind of thing. And so this is, this is the attitude going into this passage. But Paul does a good job because he, he explains it in, in such a way that's loving. And so... Um, if I start coughing, guys, I'm fighting a cold or flu here, so um, I'll try not to, and, and so we'll just kind of fight through this together. But let's look at verse 1 here of chapter 9. Now, concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, but about which I boast to you to the Macedonians and Achaia, and was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority you know, I find it very interesting in that first verse that he says he stirred up the majority. You know, reliance is just like, you know, I'll reference reliance a lot today because, you know what, I think we, well, I think we're very giving and we're a very loving church. And I think um, we, we live out this example in a lot of ways. And, um, but then in a lot of ways, we're like a lot of other churches. You know, and when he says he stirs up the majority, um, sometimes that's the case here at the reliance and sometimes it's not. In, in our churches today, we have, um, really, it's, it's the 80-20 rule. 20% are doing the work, you know, for the other 80, you know. Or, you know, and the, you know in, the, in the area of giving, and particularly in finances, you know, our church is not that far off. You know, 20% of the church really, you know, basically gives the majority of, you know, the finances that support the church. Now, the cool thing about this passage, and as we dig into it, is it has very little to do with how much you guys give financially. It has everything to do with the heart and, and has nothing to do with the amounts of money. 
And so um, let's look at that together here. And I, I think when I look at verse 1 here, um, Paul struggles with whether or not to, to remind us. And I think that's the struggle I have even when I go through this passage, and that's why I want to avoid it. But, and I can look at it and I can say that Reliance is the most loving church I know. And that's the truth. I mean, that's why my wife and I, we've invested so much time, and this is our family. We spend probably more time involved with church one way or the other than almost anything else in our life. And so um, you are of good reputation. There are people that boast about you to other churches, and I've seen that personally. And um, so you guys have a huge service hearts. This church, even what we sit in right now, a gymnasium, you guys make it look like a sanctuary every Sunday. It's amazing the work and the, and the servants that go, go into this. And um, that, that is the heart of this church. And, uh, you know, and it's an overwhelming to other people when they look at it from the outside. Um, we, we did a video where it is time-elapsed video of us setting up on Sundays. A lot of you guys are familiar with that. But I have the opportunity often to, to, to sit down with other pastors and other churches and to show that video. And what, it's amazing the feedback I get. I've had people tell me it straight out gives them anxiety to watch our video. Yeah. And, and they're like, they can't do that. They're like, there's no way my church could ever pull that off. And, you know, that, and that's a testimony of you, you guys and the way you give to this church. And it's amazing. Let's look at verse 2. You're, it says here in verse 2, you know, the, the heart of behind verse 2 is, is your willingness, your eagerness, your enthusiasm. It's going to stir up that majority. You know, I, I think of people in, in this church that, that really that have a tendency to stir us up. You know, I joke with the deacons all the time. Like when I grow up, I want to be like Tom Walter. He's the head of our deacons. I mean, the guy just gives and gives. And, you, you know, he's always smiling, always happy. You know those kind of people, right? It's not me normally, okay? I'm like, I'm like straight focused, you know. I, I, I can walk right by someone, not even realize it, even though it's not my heart, you know. But there's guys like Tom. They're just right there all the time asking if you need help. And they're just, they're just that giving. And, so, you know, it, it's contagious, and it, it stirs people up. I think of Christine Flores, who runs our children's ministry, um, the nursery back there. I mean, that, that woman will send me reports every Monday of what, what's happened here on Sunday, and it's like one happy face after another, you know. I mean, I didn't even know you can make that many happy faces on a computer. Sometimes I'm so distracted, I stop reading. I'm looking at these faces, and it's just amazing. And, but you know what? That's her personality, too. And just, to, and just to see when you hear her pray and you hear her talk to people, and that she just motivates people to serve around her and to give. And that is an amazing thing. And, and this is what I love about our church is that we have that ability through Christ to stir up one another and to, and to raise up one another and to all for the glory of God. And this is what Paul's talking about in these passages as we get there. Everything has to do with for his glory and not ours. Let's look at verse 3. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. L- listen, church, I, I've, I've boasted about you guys. I mean, th- that's how strongly I feel about this church. Um, I've had the opportunity a few times to give tours of other churches through here, and you know, they want to see how we do Sunday setup. Because we have a reputation in the communities and in the churches. You know, this church is doing something different. We're hanging curtains. We're doing things. We're taking a gymnasium and making it feel more like a sanctuary from the minute you walk in here. And that's what I hope that you guys feel is, is I want a church that's, you know, the, they're the best loved sheep. 
the best fed sheep. And so, and without distraction, you just be able to get in the word and hear the word. And so that's the heart of this church. That's the heart of Pastor Ted. And that's been the heart of Ted and Brenda. And that's, that's really the testimony of how Autumn and I became so willing to serve and to pour into this church. And that's because we were so well fed and loved. And, um, and so we, we do boast about things. And so I've given tours through here. And, you know, and so, you know, when they, they say, well, how do you do this? How do you do this? And I, I tell them, I, I do everything. I get my hands dirty, you know. And no, I, I tell them about you guys and what you're doing. And the truth of the matter is I, I'm barely ever getting my hands dirty. You know, I'm just getting to spend time with you guys. I spend more time hugging people on Sunday because it gets to the love of this church. You know, I mean, my hands don't get dirty. I could be, a, you know, a hand model. My hands are so, like, you know. But, but it's because of you guys and what you do here, and it's contagious. So I want to exhort you to keep it up. Look at verse 4. Lest that some of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, that you, that you should be ashamed of this confident boasting. I'm not ashamed of this church. In fact, I, I, like I said, I boast more of anything about anything in my life. It's just this church and what it's done for even my family. Even the things I boast about within my family are related to this church. Um, and so that, for that, I'm very thankful. You know, when he, when he talks about being ashamed, the only time we're ever ashamed, really, is when we're not doing something that we ought to be doing, and we know it. And for some of you, as we go through this passage, you, you may feel that. You may feel conviction, but it's not condemnation. Conviction will draw us nearer to God as we study the word. Condemnations of the world. And so, um, let's continue on. Let's look at verse 5. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not of grudging obligation. Again, we don't talk about these tough subjects just for the sake of stirring you guys up to give. Um, I want you to give because you love the Lord. I want you to give because you're obedient, and that's what God calls us to do. And it goes so much more than just finances. It goes in the way we serve and the way we worship our Lord. And so um, that, that's the heart of God. You know, God cares more about the heart and what you bring to the table. You know, um, you know in the rest of the passage, we're going to see what God promises, that if we have a willing heart, what he can do. And so, um, you know, I want to give you guys, though, an update of where we're at as a church. Um, you know, State of the Union, so to speak. And I think I can loosely use, use that term as we start the new year here and just that there is unity in this church. It's what I love about this church. Um, your pastors are very, you know, tightly knit together. Um, we are one accord. We just recently merged with another church and just the leadership even from the other church and, and the way, you know, I think of, you know, our elder Bob Reese, and I think of Pastor Jim. I mean, I feel like I've known those guys forever, and that's, the, that's only the work of the Lord. And so um, th- that's where we're at as pastors, and I think you'll find that, you know, we're in the trenches in there with you guys, even on Sunday mornings doing setups, and we're praying with you, and we um, just really want to minister side-by-side side with you guys. And um, th- so as we look at this... Um, where we're at as a church right now is we've been saving for our building. But we're, the opposite has been happening just recently. We started pulling stuff out of the savings just for our, meet our everyday needs. And is that the reason for the message today? No. Again, this is just happened to be where I've been going through in my devotional time. But I don't find it coincidental that this is where I've been stuck. And this is something that we, we're, we're dealing with as a church because ultimately, no matter what, a lot of our finances and our giving pays for the ministries. And that's just the reality of the world we live in. Um, 
but you guys have been very much in the past very generous, and you still are. And last year, year over year, just to give you guys a quick update, where we've, we've done better than we did the, every year. The church has always been growing. God's been adding to it daily. And it's really because of what you guys do and how you serve. And um, it has sometimes very little to what happens even on Sunday. There's so much ministry that goes on midweek. And so um, if you guys are a part of that, you ought to be boasting. And I know you're boasting because you guys are inviting other people to this church. And I love what God does and the way he brings people in here. And sometimes the people I least suspect to invite more people to church are the ones that are bringing people up to me and introducing them to me on Sunday morning. And, I, and you know, it's amazing. I mean, that's the heart of, the, of this place. And so uh, where we're at is uh, last year we finished up um, um, above uh, the year prior. And um, so overall... Everything's good, attendance, finances, and we've been saving for a building, and uh, we've been good stewards, and um, there's no misappropriation of funds, and um, I can sit before the board and with all honesty and be direct with them and say, this is where we're at. We're a healthy church, and you guys have been healthily giving. Um, You know, last part of the quarter, you know, it's been tough. I mean, the numbers have been lower. Uh, December in particular was a rough month. Um, If there's any concern, it's just that the first part of this year, it's been lower than normal. Um, last week, lowest, lowest giving in our church in probably two years. Um, so, yeah, that, that has an effect. And I, I bring this out as full honesty and full disclosure for you because I want you to have the same heart and understanding of where we're coming from. And the same thing I sit down when we have st- staff meetings with all the church staff, and I sit down and I explain the same thing because I want everybody praying about the same thing. We need to be like-minded, and we need to understand the condition of where we're at as a church. And when we say that we want to build a building and we want to do these things as a church, then we have to get behind those things. And, um, but, you know, if God, doesn't, if God doesn't, we always live by the model of, you know, where God guides, he provides. And so if, if God were to change that thing or restructure things, then it's real simple. You know, maybe we don't build or maybe we scale back or, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Lord does. But nonetheless, I want to bring it to your attention because, you know, just like Paul's doing here in the first five verses, it's healthy to be reminded sometimes. And maybe some of you have just not been thinking about it. You haven't been purposely giving. And this is the big aspect of what's happening here in these first five verses. He's arranging it beforehand. He's reminding them, hey, you, we purpose to do this. Let's do it together. And so that's my heart here this morning is just to be able to tell you that there's a mighty work that needs to, be, to happen and we're going to do it together. And so um, this isn't, a, again, not a guilt trip to, to ask for money or anything like that in this church um, because we've never been without. That is truly the testimony of this church. We have literally never been without. Um, there have been times when we didn't know how things were going to happen and God would have us not make decisions and he would reveal later exactly why. Um, moving to Linfield... That was a total Lord thing. We're so gracious and just love the grace that Linfield has given, given to us. And we never planned on moving here. Um, and, you know, we had other, our eyes on other things. And God shut the doors in radical ways. And, and the next year we found ourselves here. And this has been one of the biggest blessings for us. And so God will do it and he'll do it again. And he'll guide us and he'll direct us. Amen. All right, let's, let's continue in our text. Let's dig into, um, this is where we get to the meat of our text. And let's dig in at verse 6. But this I say, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, 
that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving for, through us to God, for the administration of this service not, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While, the, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceedingly grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's an awesome passage, and I just, um, Paul, Paul makes his biggest point by just sticking to the, the, something that they can all relate to in the analogy of sowing seeds. And, and it was, that was what was real to them back then. You know, this is, this is the society they lived in. And um, look at verse 6. But this I say, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and who, who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The minute you read that, a lot of us think, you know, hey, the wealth and prosperity preachers, you know, you know where you're going, where this is going. But there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's nothing farther from the truth if you really read this verse properly. Because if you read, continue to read on, you, you read in verse 8. And verse 8 is the answer to that. Verse 8 says what? It says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, you always having in, in all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for what? Not for the pastor, not for the church, for every good work. Now, if that includes the church, then so be it. If that includes a ministry outside this church, then so be it. But it's about what? His good work. Anything that the Lord is in is a good work. And we need to, we need to look at that. We, need to, we want to be where God is and where God is and where God is loving. And so um, this is important. It has nothing to do with, you know, when you get a, you know, a pastor up there just looking for money, it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the way that we, we perceive this verse right here. It's for the abundance of his, for every good work. Um, he promises to meet all sufficiency, all abundance. And, and abundance there, I mean, he meets your needs, what you need to get by, but the abundance is for who? It's, 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 the abundance has more to do with helping others. And, and so that means the ministries. You know, what is God in? Uh, there's, a, there's a spiritual law to this, and Proverbs 11 says this, 11, 24, verses 25. It says, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be, be watered. There's a great hope in that. Let's look at verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. That, that word is in the Greek is, is um, hilarious, and it literally means hilarious. And if you can give in such a way that you find it hilarious, I don't know. I don't normally give in that way. I, I don't really know what that looks like, but, um, and, you know, that word doesn't maybe, you know, translate right for us, but... You know, if, 
if we really believe that all things belong to the Lord and they're not, they're not ours to hang on to and we can freely give with an open hand kind of mentality and we're not, not white knuckle Christianity, um, we can give it cheerfully. You know, when I, the problem is that most of us have a threshold of what that looks like. You know, when it's, you know, my kid comes up and he asks me for a dollar, I, I have no problem giving it to him, you know. But when he comes up asking for $20, I'm suddenly asking what for, you know. And, and that, that's the way we, we approach almost every aspect of our giving. And, um, but, but that's not what God says. He says, let's do, let's be cheerful givers. This is where most of us go wrong because we, we do it grudgingly. Some of us give out of the, you know, hey, we just ought to, you know, and just trying to be obedient. And God, God normally meets us right there, and, and, you know, and there's fruit from that. But the reality is, is God says, no, we should be cheerful about it. We should want to bless others. We should want to serve others. We should want to give because we want to give the way the Lord gives and sacrificially. You know, our giving is often, an, it's an acid test, really, of, you know, where we are spiritually in our maturity. A lot of times I meet very seasoned Christians, and some of them have never given to anything. You know, and they're able to give me all the scriptures. They're able to, you know, you see it in every aspect of their life, except for in the area of giving. They just refuse to serve. They won't serve in their church. They won't serve in their community. They won't serve their family. You know, they won't, they won't give to the church. They, you know, the, it's, there's a very selfish thing. And it's, it's very natural for us to be selfish like that. Um, it's, it's just innate in us. And, um, you know, and that very much is um, how a lot of us come to the Lord. We're just selfish right from the get-go. And, um, and God will meet us there anyway. I think, I think of when I came to know the Lord. Because my testimony was that, you know, my, my parents came to know the Lord and they... You know, they just expected I lived in their house. I should go to church. And, I, and if you're a parent here today, I say that's good advice. You know, um, they live under your roof. You tell them to go to church, no matter what, you know, whatever, whatever's going on in their life. And so I, I went to church a lot, and I didn't, you know, it went right over my head. I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand the words. I didn't understand. I certainly didn't, I just didn't appreciate the teacher. I thought, man, you can make the Bible so boring. What, what a gift. And some of you are thinking that right now. <laughs> And so I, I sat there many Sundays, you know, nothing. And then one Sunday I went to church by myself, and this pastor, guest speaker, got up there and started talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts and, I, and, I, and all selfishness, you know. He's closing his sermon, and he's, you know, he's doing the usual thing, you know. If, if you want to be, you know, you want to accept the Lord, you want to you have the Holy Spirit. And he starts talking particularly about the Holy Spirit and the gifts, and, uh, and I, I, you know, everyone else has got their eyes closed because that's what he's telling you to do, and I'm looking around, I'm like... And then I see people raise their hands, so I think, well, there's probably not a whole lot of that Holy Spirit in here. I ought to raise my hand, too, because I want some of that if it's free. And, and so I raise my hand, and, 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 but then, but then he, you know, a guy comes up next to me, grabs me on his shoulder, starts trying to pray, and, um, and I'm wigged out by that. And the pastor continues, though. He says, some of you want, the, you want these gifts. You want the Holy Spirit, but you've never surrendered your life. And, um, and then I realized that's me, you know, and... And then, so that's when I surrendered my life to the Lord. But it was all out of selfishness. I was all into the, oh, you can get power. You can have the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, there could be fruit in your life. There's more to be had. And honestly, it was very selfish motivation. It was, thank God I left there. And I went, I went home and I told my sister, I said, I think I got saved. She looked at me and she's like, 
yeah, probably not. <laughs> and so luckily a few days later, she's like, you should go to this Bible study. And um, luckily I got plugged into the word and people, I guess, got ministered to. And, um, and that's, 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 that's the work of the God. That's the work only God can do. And so we come to the Lord in a very selfish way often. And um, so let's, let's look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having in all sufficiency all things may have an abundance for every good work as it is written. Before I forget, look, just skim through the passage that we're looking at right now. You know, start at verse 6, go to verse 11. You know, look how many times you see all, always, you know, in everything, in all things. Um, God doesn't pick and choose through this of what things we ought to give and how. He doesn't, he doesn't pick and choose in how he gives to you. It's in all ways. And so we ought to be giving in all ways, whether that's in our finances, in our worship. I mean, again, the, the tendency for us is to put God in a box and say, I'll serve God here, but not here. You know, I'll serve up in children's ministry because I like kids, but they don't ask me to drop anything in the basket. You know, don't ask me to, you know, work in the parking lot. Don't ask me to help clean around the church. Um, don't ask me to, you know... Go help you with this community project. Don't, you know, we have limitations, but God doesn't. It's in all, all sufficiency and all blessings. And that's the way that God works. Um, Matthew 6, um, 19 through 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in to steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You know, most of us, go, we, we approach um, our faith in that, you know, I don't have enough to give. I have nothing to offer. And... Um, Paul clarifies this, you know, and, and this is his heart. And if you go back to chap- the previous chapter, look at verse 8. So uh, 2 Corinthians 8.8 8 says this, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Our giving is, a, is really, a, it's a very much a testing of our love. Do we love? Because we, we know what? We give where we love. And, you know, and, that, and that's a question for us is, what do we love? What, what, is, what is priority in our hearts? And you know, there's, there's an acid test for that. And that's and that, not very much a lot of times is, where do we spend our time? What's going through our mind? What, 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 what dominates our thoughts? You know, what's our bank statement look like? Where do we spend our money? The truth of the matter is we spend a lot of these things uh, on selfish things that, that are just temporal. They, they don't add to the kingdom in any way. And we're all guilty of this. We all have priorities, you know. Um, you know, and they're at different levels, you know. Um, but that, that's why it's important to realize that Paul says it has nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with your heart and what, where you put that priority. Mark 12, uh, 41 through 44 says this. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. And then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. Basically, she's thrown in a penny. She's thrown in very little. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. But in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So it's very much 
In a lot of ways, when we, we look at percentages and what a church should give, I mean, in a lot of ways, the concept of a percentage is a little more accurate because, you know, it's, it's a measure of what we're given, you know. It, you know, if you're given more, you, you have the responsibility with more. And it's your responsibility to, to decide how that, that's handled. And, um, but most of us, as we grow in areas and we, we feel convicted to give, whether it's literally monetary or if it's in our service or it's in our worship, um, we, we put that limitation easily. And um, it reminds me of a story, you know, of a young pastor um, and a young businessman. And the young businessman went to the pastor and he, and he said, you know, I'm struggling giving. You know, I don't think I can give. I don't have much to give. I'm just starting out. And the pastor said, well, you know, I don't really want to get in the pulpit every time. You know, and I, how, about, how about we make a deal? Uh, every Sunday I get in the pulpit, you know, and you make a deal that you give 10% of whatever, you know, the Lord gives you. And I'm going to pray for you. And so the pastor prays for him. And they make this deal that this is going to be an ongoing thing. And so, and it, it starts off good initially, you know. The young man, he's tithing, and he's given $1,000 a year, and, and then it continues to grow, and his business is growing, and he's just, he's just, he's just being blessed, and he's, you know, he's, and, but the checks are getting bigger and bigger. And finally, you know, he goes, he goes back to the pastor, and he's like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, is there a statue of limitations to this thing? You know, let's, let's just call a truce. Right? And that's not how we, we come to the Lord sometimes. We say, you know, it's, it's really, it's all good until we get to that spot. And, um, and everyone has a different idea of where that spot is. And, and so, this, so this pastor, he, he, he begins to pray. And he, and he prays. And the, he gets done and the young man says, so, so are we good? Call it off? You know, do, you know I just want to be able to give back $1,000. And the pastor says, well, that's exactly what I just prayed. I prayed that God would reduce your income so that you could only give $1,000. <laughs> it, it, it sounds ridiculous, and I know it's, it's funny, but that's, that's, that's the attitude sometimes we, we negotiate with. I remember um, early on just being challenged with this, and the Lord has challenged me in this area so many times in my, in my life, and um, even recently, you know, deciding, hey, do I sell my house, you know, just to, to live below my means and be able to do ministry longer, and, and, um, and that's exactly what Autumn and I did, but I remember early on, you know, when I first started to make decent money, and Autumn and I were just married, and I remember sitting in church one day, and Autumn's like, you know, should we tithe? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and I, so she's like, I'll, I'll write the check, and you know, up until that point, I was, you know, I'd throw cash in every once in a while, like we're going to, you know, hey, 20 bucks, you know, like you're going to the movies kind of thing, you know. <laughs> I don't even think that gets you the movies these days. I don't. Um, and then I look over and Autumn's writing a check. I, me- I remember the amount. It was like $400. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I like, I elbowed her right there. I'm like, no. She's like, <laughs> she's like, that. I don't, she's like, I don't even think that's 10%. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it is, you know. <laughs> And suddenly I was a Bible expert. I was telling her, I'm like, you'll be quiet, you know, First Peter chapter 3, you'll win me over in your silence, you know, totally misquoting things. And, uh, but that, that is, that's how we come to the Lord sometimes, don't we? You know, and luckily the Lord has just had to minister to my heart over the years and, you know, and it didn't change that. And um, he's been faithful to Autumn and I. There's no doubt in that. We've been blessed. Um, look at verse 9. Here Paul's quoting um, Psalm 112.9. And um, I'm going to ask the, 
they put it on the screen for you because I want to take it in context. I want to start at verse 5. And Psalm 112.5 starts off. It says, A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteousness will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. It's not about us being exalted. It's about the Lord and his glory. And, um, but I love what it says here, that we're not to be shaken in fear. Many of us, we don't, we don't give. We don't serve. We don't do these things because it's out of fear. You know, we're scared to get that close and intimate with the Lord and, and to God's people. We're afraid of what that looks like and what that feels like and the accountability that comes with that. Um, we're to trust God, and, and, and he further emphasizes that the abundance is not just for self-consumption. That's what he's saying here in this psalm. And this is, this, is way, this, is, this is how Paul wants to get it across to them. He just wants them to be reminded that the fear and that shaking has nothing to do of the Lord. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. And here we see that God always supplies now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. God not only does he supply everything, not only does everything come from him, but he, what does he do? He says, God, God says he'll multiply the seed in which you sow. That very thing that you, you're looking to, 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 to grow and to, and to add to he is saying he'll multiply. That's the exponential love that God has. He has the ability to take something so small and so dramatically change, change and grow things in your life. Um, every dollar we have is God supplied. And I, I like what Jesus says in, in Luke 16, verses 10 through 13. He says, He was faithful in, every, in, very, in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he was unrighteous in, in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the, the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, the key, the key to that passage really is that um, when he says it's in others, do we believe that it's God's, it's not ours? You know, and that, and that can really be applied to every aspect. When, when the Lord says, you know, he, calls, he says that you are wonderfully made. He created you. You belong to him. You are to be a vessel that he uses how he, free, how he freely chooses. You know, everything that comes into you should be, as easily as it comes in, it should be coming out. He's not going to entrust more than he, that he can put in your hand that you're not willing to, with an open hand, give away. And um, this, is, this, is the, this is where a lot of us, we, just, we grip onto things, we hold on to things that really don't belong to us. On the screen, um, I'm going to ask them to just put up the laws of the harvest. This is what we've been reading about. You know, and the first one is that you will reap bountifully and more than you sow. When you when you plant a seed, you know, you plant a you know, you plant corn, you're gonna get what? An ear of corn. Multiple seeds. You know, you plant an apple tree, what do you get? You get an apple with many seeds inside. This is the this is the law of the harvest. This is why God uses this as an example. 
you know, then the law of sowing is that you reap the like kind of what you have sown. So if you're gonna if you're gonna put a pumpkin seed out, you're gonna get pumpkins. You know, you put out you know the apple seed, you get apples. This is the way it works. And so if we give sparingly, we receive sparingly. If we give bountifully, we we receive bountifully. And you know, if we we greet somebody with a smile, we often get what back? A smile. If we greet them with a frown, that is what we receive back. And this is pretty much a law that applies to so many things, but it definitely applies to the law of the harvest. And that's why God uses it. It's, it's, it's as real as, you know, gravity. And so you, the third one is that you must sow before you reap. You can't expect to, to farm. You can't expect to have the blessings. If you, if, and you've got to sow first. You've got to actually let those seeds out of your hand. That's the struggle of a farmer. There comes a point at which you're hanging on to these seeds, which can be ground up. You can make flour. You can feed your family with. But at some point, you have to let those seeds go in hopes that the, the, the harvest will be bountiful. See, Paul knew he could use these examples with his people because they, they were an agrarian society. I mean, they didn't live the way we did. Everything came from the land, the farm, the livestock. They lived off the land. And so it was real to them as much as, you know, for us, you know, it's our ATM cards. It's, you know, you know we don't really think sometimes of how we pay for things and how we deal with things. You know, we don't bring a bushel of, you know, you know, vegetables down to the bank, you know, or to the Starbucks, you know. It's, for us, what's real is really what's in our pocket and where we spend it and how our ATM works. And um, that's where it becomes home for us is when, when do we pull out that ATM card? You know, it's not a matter of when do we let go of the seeds, but spiritually speaking, yes, it is. We've got to let go of certain things. When you live as a farmer does, you make tough choices all the time. And we make the same ones, really. Um, for every time we sow seeds in a worldly things, you know, um, you know, the kingdom's really robbed of a blessing. And for some of us, that looks different. You know, for some, maybe it's as simple as, hey, you know, I'm spending a lot on Starbucks. You know, I'm spending a lot on, you know, pay-per-view fights. You know, it could be anything. Those happen to be some of my favorites, but, um, you know, we, that sometimes we just need to alter those things, you know, and, and, and those aren't bad things necessarily, but, you know, there becomes a point where maybe those take priority over something that God doesn't want you to be, you know, leaving and abandoning. And so Hosea 8, 7 says this, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It, it shall never produce meal. If it should produce, strangers would swallow it up. The wind in the Bible always represents worthlessness and foolishness. There's several passages um, that coincide with this, but what you need to know is when you let that seed go into the wind, it's blown away. You don't know what ground it's going to land on, if it'll land on fertile ground. But often that's the way we treat things in our lives is we, we, we chase down things that really have no value in the long term. We've got to be looking for the long-term harvest of the kingdom. And, and the benefits of that and seeing people saved and ministering to people and showing them the love of Christ so they may glorify our God in heaven. That is what we're talking about here this morning. And um, I like the Psalm 126, verses 5 through 6. It says this, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Um, many missionaries in Africa will quote this psalm. And because over there they understand the, the necessity of water and farming and that as, the, as you go through the seasons and you're without and, you're, and things are drought and things are tough, um, that usually you get to a spot where, quite honestly, your family's hungry, they're starving, and you're making extremely tough choices. 
And there's a story that goes like this. See, when the rains, the rains are scarce and so is the food and, and true hunger sets in. A six-year-old boy comes running to his father one day with sudden excitement. Daddy, daddy, we've got grain, he shouts. Son, you know we haven't had grain for weeks. Yes, we have, the boy insists. Out in the hut where we keep the ghosts, there's a leather sack hanging up on the wall. I reached up and I put my hand down in there, daddy. And there's grain in there, daddy. Give it to mommy, he says, so she can make flour. And tonight our tummies can sleep. Man. And the father stands motionless. Son, we can't do that, he softly explains. That next year's seed grain, it's the only thing between us and starvation. We're waiting for the rains, and then we must use it. The rains finally arrive in May, and, and when they do, the young boy watches as his father takes the sack from the wall and does the most unreasonable thing imaginable. So instead of feeding his desperately weakened family, he goes to the field, and, he, and with tears streaming down his face, he takes the precious seed and throws it away. You take this precious thing and you throw it on the ground and you hope that something's going to come of it. Why does he do this? He scatters it to the dirt because he believes in the harvest. He believes in what will come. And the question for you and I today is, do we believe in the harvest? Do we believe in the work? Where in our lives do we see the fruit? Where do we see God's love? Do we want to get behind it? Do we believe in the harvest of it? You know, for me, I, I've said it, you know, this church represents a big part of that in my life. Second Samuel 24, 24 says this, but David said, neither will I offer unto the Lord my God that which has cost me nothing. That's, that's a tough thing. I couldn't imagine truly, truly as a father in those times and trying to do farming and to, and to really think that I really had a choice, literally having something that I could potentially eat and make food out of and then having to deny my family for, to that point, and then waiting for that harvest. But the truth is, we do that, don't we? Um, many of us, we, we deny our family some things and blessings. You know, we, we have ways that we could bless even our family and our friends, and um, we allow our finances to be such a mess in such a way that we can't bless. Um, I used to think Autumn and I were a very giving couple, to be honest with you. I mean, call it pride, whatever. Um, and then uh, not too long ago, we just, you know, it was all about the time, honestly, that I was praying about becoming a pastor, and I made that commitment, and then I really was making some tough decisions, and I just asked the Lord to, to, to guide us in that. And, I, and his way of guiding us really was, we went through some financial just struggles. I mean, you know, it was like I was constantly turning down work so I could be at the church when I needed the work. Um, next, you know, bills are piling up. Um, it was, you know, it was scary. So, I, you know, we wind up, you know, we had a house that we weren't selling, an investment house, which we were waiting for. Um, we were, you know, we were essentially, as much as God had taken care of us, we were cash poor. And there was nothing more disheartening to me when I realized that there were some people I wanted to help, and I didn't have the funds to help them. You know, it's part of the reason why, you know, Autumn and I, have, you know, we've downsized the way we live. You know, we, we, we have no car payments now. We're living basically a, off a cash system. Um, you know, and it's, I tell you, there's no greater joy than to give. You know, and since then, and just making those alterations in our lives, it's been such a blessing. It's been crazy. And I, I look at those opportunities, and I, and I realize that how many times I missed some opportunities in that short amount of time. And, you know, for some of you, you don't even know what that looks like. You know, you've always been in that feeling of, like, I, you know, I don't have anything. 
Well, it's a good thing because God's not, again, not asking you for anything. He's, he's, he's asking you to give really from an abundance. You give what you can. And, you know, and so for some of you, that means starting small. Some of you means you really need to f- work on your finances. That Financial Peace University class that starts, you know, next week, you've got to sign up for that. You need to, you know, we're not exactly in the best of times in our economy, and you've got to be wise about this. It's never, we're never at a spot where we think we're content. We're always thinking we want more. And this is the problem I see. I, you know, I, you, guys, you guys know some of these you know, people that have come into your life, and they move away. And we live in, a, you know, we live in Southern California. Everything's expensive. Everything's ridiculous, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I've got friends and family that, you know, they move out of state and they think it's going to be, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. And, you know, and my advice most of the time to them is like, water and fertilize your own lawn. Take care of business here. You think it's going to be green, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. It's it's right here in front of you. You have all the resources. Scale back. Cut back. Um... You know, and honestly, most of those people, they move away, and some of them come back. Um, and the, why, the reason they come back is because the struggles they had there, they have here, they took with them there, and they still had them there, and so they figured, might as well come back where I'm loved. And so they never deal with the problems. And so that's a challenge for us. We have to look at it. You know, I'm telling you right now, for some of you, this is a word. You, you, know, you don't move to try and fix your finances. You move where God calls you and where God, God's put people before you that you're to serve and to love. You go where God, God's calling you. And so, um, and that for you and for me, we've got to be good stewards of our finances. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. We'll just summarize these. We, we see in here, as you look at them, we see um, four blessings from the Corinthians on giving. And the first one is they're giving supplies more than the saints. This is what we see here. It wasn't just about the initial offering. It, it went, there was an abundance. There was other ministries. There were other things that got taken care of, apparently. We don't know what they are from reading here, but we know it went beyond the basic needs. That's what happens when a church gets behind things. You know, in Exodus chapter 35, um, tail end of 35, uh, chapter 36, um, they're building the tabernacle, and Moses encourages the Israelites, and he, and, he, and he exhorts them and gives them a commandment from the Lord to, you know, to, to basically bring everything in to do this. You know, everybody, you know, has a gift, bring it. And, um, and in that passage, you'll see that they all did that. And it's to the point where Moses had to, you know, they started coming to Moses and they're complaining and they say, you know, and Moses tells them, okay, stop, enough. We have more than we need. And that's what could happen in this church if we all did what we're supposed to do. You know, and it doesn't mean, again, not an amount, but that we would just give. And um, second point here, one of the blessings that the Corinthians see is it costs people to be thankful Give God his rightful glory. Our giving is always for his glory, not ours. The Corinthians, they were giving. They were growing. You know, and that's the third point. The Corinthians, they, what you see here in these scriptures is that they were a growing people. They were challenged. They were exhorted by Paul. It took a great obedience to give. And there was a great reward for them. 
you know, obedience is a key ingredient for any, any of us as disciples. We've got to learn it. We've got to do it. The church in Jerusalem was prompted to pray for them. It would be the last and final thing that I see here. You know, and it's just much like we teach our kids, you know. You know, sharing is caring, right? You know, and when you care about things, you know, you tend to pray for them. And so it stirs up praying. You know, the, the Jerusalem church, as they were suffering, being persecuted, and had issues going on, and no doubt battling famine, and, you know, when they received these gifts from the Corinthian church, when they received them from the church in Galatia, what, you know, their heart is to be thankful, to pray for them. Do we pray for one another? Do we love one another? Are we thankful for one another? You know, the, uh, the great missionary Amy Carmichael, she says this, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You know, and she, she knew it. She was, she was a missionary that served in orphanages for over 55 years, never taking a furlough. Right down to the day that she died, her wish was that there be no stone put over her. Over her. Instead, the kids from the orphanage, they put a birdbath um, and then, and then what, it, what it basically essentially read in their language was mother. She treated them as if they were her kids. She loved them that much. We will, we will give where we love. Um, and it, this is clear for us if you go back to chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that through his poverty might become rich. There's no greater example than God's love for us. He clarifies this, and I love what Jesus says in Luke 7, verses 40 through 47. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. When you realize the gift that you have from the Lord and his grace, and how much you receive, it's very telling on how you give. Another great passage on God's love, 1 John three sixteen through 18, says this, how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? As I look at the clock, I'm out of time, and I'm surprised they're not yelling at me, but I, I feel led to just close here with you guys. The Lord wants to use you as a vessel. And some of you, you know, you're holding back, and it it's really has so much to do with the way you view yourself and the way you think God views you. God wants to use you mightily. He, he doesn't see you the way you see yourself. And the psalmist David says in Psalm 139, he starts off that psalm in the beginning, really talking about his omnipresence, and we can't escape the Lord. But then he picks up at verse 13. He says, For you formed me, 
You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. I think I got about halfway through my notes. But I will tell you this. What you need to hear today, if you hear nothing else, is that God loves you and he wants to use you. And when, when it talks about the potter's clay and the, the vessel being marred, some of us, that's the way we come to the Lord, marred. You know, that word marred means cor- corrupted. But God is a gracious God, and he'll take that clay and he'll, re- he'll rework it, and he'll use it for his glory. He wants to fill you up as a vessel that you would pour out to others. <laughs>